The story that Meredith just told so well comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a cloud, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, get up and do not be afraid. And when he looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the word spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. Today, as has been mentioned, is Transfiguration Sunday. And the story we just heard is appropriately called the Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John go up the mountain with Jesus, and he is, as Matthew says, transfigured before them. His face face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. This story always falls on the last Sunday before the beginning of Lent. And it's also the day of the lectionary scripture reading that we preachers long to hear. It is good for us to be here. Hearing these words, we begin to have visions of someone in worship calling out, let us stay forever. Can't we just go past noon, at least today, this one Sunday? I know there's a tip-off at noon. Well, this story of the transfiguration is an odd one. It appears in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What you've heard me say before is a good clue that the early church found something significant here. But it's also very different than all the other material in those three gospels. Where most of the gospel stories are concrete, earthly, tactile stories about sheep and coins and kings and grain and wounded travelers, this one is different, dreamlike and mystical, ethereal, with words like glory and clouds, Moses and Elijah, voice and vision. As we just heard Raymond read moments ago, you can hardly hear this story without stumbling over a similar story about Moses going up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. The details are all there. Six days, a cloud covers the mountain, a voice speaks. 
Moses comes down the mountain and the people claim that his face is shining because he's been in the presence of God. The difference in this story, of course, is that Peter, James, and John go with Jesus and they recognize immediately that something special is happening, something extraordinary and holy. It's good for us to be here, Peter says. Let me build something and we can stay here forever. We won't have to leave. If you've ever been to summer camp, or a church retreat, or even a wonderful, restful vacation, you know exactly what that feels like. I've never felt this close to God. I wish we could stay here forever. I never want to leave. It's, that, it's in that special place. With those special people, everything is so clear and so simple and so uncomplicated. But back there, back home, back at work, back at school, back down the mountain, back there. Life is demanding and messy and confusing. I wish we could stay here forever, Peter says. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to make that possible. I'll build something so we can stay. I'll call the boss and tell her we're not gonna be home yet. I'll take the semester off from school. I'll call in sick. I'll do whatever I need to do to make this last because I never want to go back. It's good for us to be here. Peter has no more than said those words when a cloud envelops them and a voice from within the cloud speaks. This is my son, the beloved. With him, I'm well pleased. Listen to him. For all you grammar junkies, the word for what the cloud does is overshadow. It comes from the Greek word episkizo. It's a word we've seen before. When the angel Gabriel visits Mary to tell her that she will conceive and bear a son, Mary asks, how can this be possible? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Gabriel tells her, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Episkizo. In the Gospels, those are the only two places where that word appears the Annunciation and the Transfiguration. Two stories that remind us that God will not be contained or confined within human made structures. When God shows up, it tends to be in and through people, not buildings or cathedrals or shrines. God doesn't go for architecture, but for anatomy. Or maybe the better way to say it is that God makes architecture of our anatomy. God turns us into a dwelling place for the holy. We make a home for God in this world. And that, I think, is why Jesus wouldn't let Peter and James and John stay up on that mountain. There's work to be done below and that can't happen if you never leave church camp or come back from vacation. If you read the end of Matthew 17 and then through the rest of the gospel, you get a glimpse of what that looks like. Healing the sick, feeding the hungry, setting free the captives, going into all the world to teach and to baptize and to make disciples. 
If God is going to be at home in this world, if God's glory is going to shine in this world, it's going to be through people like Peter and James and John and you and me. I'm drawn to this story because I look around and I see so many people who are looking for just the kind of experience these three disciples had. A moment of transcendence, an up-close spiritual encounter in which God is tangibly present. If I'm reading the signs right, there are a lot of people searching these days. 77% of Americans describe themselves as believing in God, while 74% say they feel a need for a deeper spiritual growth. 44% of those say that they're more open to God today than they were before the pandemic. But for about 20 years, the buzz phrase has been spiritual, but not religious. We are, as Wade Clark Roof describes us, a generation of seekers. The upside of that, of course, is that people are responding to what Pascal called the God-shaped void or vacuum inside each of us. You have made us for yourself, O God, St. Augustine said, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. The downside to this spiritual seeking, though, is that the search can become an end in itself. Bouncing from one spiritual encounter to another, always seeking the next mountaintop high. There's a helpful word for the 21st century that comes straight from the 6th century and from St. Benedict in particular, and the word is stabilitas. Benedict, as you may know, was a monk in the early 6th century. He founded 12 monasteries that operated according to the rules of St. Benedict. And it was an outline, a set of precepts for people living together in community. In introducing his rule, Benedict stated that there were four kinds of monks. The first, the, the desirable type, are Cenobites. They who live in community with an abbot, a leader, and a rule a discipline, and an expectation for life together. The second type are the anchorites or hermits, monks who essentially live alone, but sort of as satellite to a Cenobite community. Benedict said anchorites are acceptable, except that he's only seen two people in the history of the world who could pull that off. The third kind, called The Cerebates are detestable as far as Benedict is concerned. They live in community without a rule and without an abbot, without authority. So they sort of follow the whims of whatever wind blows through. Whatever they think is good or interesting, Benedict says, they call holy. Those sort of communities tend not to last very long for obvious reasons. But for Benedict... The worst of all are the fourth kind, the gyrobags, monks who wander from place to place, staying three or four days and then wandering on, always on the move, always looking for something new, something interesting, something exciting. About this most wretched way of living, Benedict says, 
it's better not to say anything at all. I think of gyrovags when I think of all the people who tend to jump from church to church to church looking for the next best thing. A few years ago, USA Today published a study of people who had changed churches in a period spanning the previous 12 months. Less than a third of them did so because of geographic moves. Most just switched because they wanted a different experience because they liked the pastor or the members or the preaching or the worship better than whatever place they had been before. Gyrovags are always looking for the glory of God somewhere else, in something flashier, something more holy, more spiritual, more exciting than whatever they happen to, than wherever they happen to be at the moment. To that, Benedict says, We need to practice the discipline of stabilitas, stability. He says there's something to be learned from the hard work of sitting with someone else who's just as imperfect as you are and learning to love that person. Sitting still in a community that is deeply flawed and learning to love the people around you in and through and in spite of their flaws and yours. What is God doing right here in this imperfect church, in the lives of all of us very imperfect people? A few years ago, I was driving through the back roads of Blount County, and I saw one of those portable signs pointing to a storefront church. The sign read, Welcome to the first free-for-all Baptist church. Now, I think I know what they were trying to say, but I also know the truth, that churches are flawed places full of flawed people, where church disagreements can easily escalate into a free-for-all. But I also know that it's God who's called the church into being. God has made covenant with the church, not just with the pure parts of it, God has promised to be present with us. God has promised to use us because, as Colossians says, it's Christ in us that is the hope of glory. So look around. Really, look around. Look at the people next to you and the people at the end of the pew who are sitting there and the people who come to collect the offering, and even the people who cut you off getting into the church parking lot this morning. (laughs) Because odds are that if you stick with them, if you practice the discipline of stabilitas, sooner or later, you'll see the glory of God in each one of them. It's good for us to be here, Peter says. And he's right. It's good for us to be here, because this is where God is, and all God's glory can be seen in the faces around you. There's a wonderful image in the last Harry Potter book that helps me here. Harry's attending the wedding of two dear friends, Bill and Fleur. Fleur is so beautiful, magically beautiful, we're told that usually her beauty eclipses everyone around her. Men are left speechless, women seethe. But on her wedding day, 
Fleur wears a special tiara made for her by elves that exerts a different sort of magic. When she puts it on, the tiara transfigures those around her. She's no longer the center of attention. Instead, everyone around her seems to glow. Her tiara reminds others, reminds others beautiful, how beautiful they are, and the wedding guests cannot understand how they've never noticed it before. They've not noticed how the faces of those around them shine. Beloved, it's good for us to be here. Amen. Let us turn to God in prayer. O God of glory, you took your friends with you when you went to pray on that mountain and you revealed to them the glory of your son, Jesus, your beloved son, on his way to the cross. We do not live on mountaintops, but we too would glimpse your glory in the ordinary days of our lives and in the community of your Son in which you have chosen to dwell. We look for you among many, even among people who have no power, no rights, and no voice. We look for you among those who are starving for justice, for peace and for mercy, who long for a day when fear does not dominate, but love. We look for you among those who live on the streets of our city, whose housing is inadequate, whose homes are not safe, who struggle to feed themselves and their children, who are forgotten, lost, or abandoned. And we look for you among those who grieve a past that is no more, and fear a future that seems full of loss. But God, we look for you when the world seems chaotic and the mountain climbs steep and never-ending. Yet you meet us there on the highest heights and in the depths of despair. You walk beside us when the path seems treacherous, and you give us light when we only deserve darkness illuminating the abundance you have for all of us. God, who meets us in the broken places, shine the light of Christ deep into our lives so we may carry that light into dark places and point to the one whose brokenness is our salvation. Allow our brokenness to be bound up in you that our weakness might be your strength. God, we lift up those who need your healing touch for Tom Mormon, Ian Phillips, and Dennis Ragsdale. We pray for those affected by the devastating shooting at Michigan State and all those that face violence in their lives, for loved ones lost, for new realities that must be reckoned with. We pray for those that have suffered from the earthquakes in Syria and Turkey, and who again must rebuild homes and rebuild hope. Oh God, it seems that when all is falling apart, there's only darkness. But remind us of Christ who comes and shines the glory of your light. 
Lord, in these few moments of silence, we lift up our own prayers. And hear now that prayer that your son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us worship God through our tithes and offerings. 